Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. And I'm Sandrine Berges from Bill Kent University, Ankara. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Thanks very much for tuning in today to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Talia Morag about tracking dogma. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Uh, Well, I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Deakin University. I'm working on a project on implicit bias. And uh, my main interests are philosophical psychology, especially the philosophy of emotions, ethics, social psychology, and the philosophical foundations of uh, psychoanalysis. And I'm also interested in a TV series, the philosophy of TV series. Right, so what was it that inspired your interest in studying tracking dogma? Well, it's not like there's a known term out there called uh, the tracking dogma, right? That's my term. What there is are tracking views of emotions, according to which emotions are like uh, tracking devices that alert us to various features of the uh, social and natural environment, like to different people and things that somehow impact our well-being, right? What's good for us, what's bad for us. So, for example, fear is said to be a system that tracks dangers. So whenever you're afraid, it's because uh, there's something dangerous in the environment, a person, an animal, or a thing, and that causes the fear response, which would be uh, certain physiological effects like fast heartbeat, certain actions like running away or attacking Anger would be a system that tracks wrongs. So if you're angry, it's like your body is telling you that you've been wronged by someone. Joy tracks benefits. Jealousy tracks loss of affection. Sadness tracks losses, and so it goes on. So emotions are seen by these views as a kind of, um, it's like a radar. Aun Ben Zeev, a philosopher, calls it uh, alarm bells going off. Right, and they they track they they attract our attention to those people and things and situations that qualify as dangers, wrongs, benefits, etc., etc. And there are many views here. It's not just one view, and each of them is distinct because uh, it's going to explain how this tracking works in a different way. But they all have this feature in common. They all understand emotion emotions 
as tracking what the psychologist Lazarus called core relational themes. So, for example, danger is a relation because something in the environment is there some kind of a threat to whatever matters to us, our bodies, our health, the people we love, our children, etc., right? Anything that bears on our well-being. So these are, these are the, the views almost virtually all philosophers of emotion hold some kind of a version of a tracking view. And when you ask me about my inspiration, I guess I see myself as someone who doesn't just have a theoretical or a philosophical interest in emotions. I also spend a lot of time reflecting on my own emotions and on emotions of other people that are close to me. And then when I think about these tracking views, they seem to be quite strange, right? Because when I look around me, I see people that are afraid when there's no danger. I see people that are often angry when nobody did anything wrong to them. And these are not like crazy people. They're functioning members of society with jobs and meaningful relationships. I see overreactions all around me. I see people in all kinds of emotional moods, like anxiety or euphoria or irritability, uh, moods that don't seem to be tracking anything. They just, uh, even if you ask that person, why are you irritable, they often don't know uh, what to say. So uh, for me, these kind of experiences where our emotional responses don't seem to fit the situation in which they arise, these kind of responses uh, or, or, or emotional difficulties that I think are quite familiar are exactly what attracted me to study emotions in the first place. So when I encounter in the philosophy of emotion these prevalent tracking views, I feel quite surprised <laughs> that philosophers hold these views despite all these many examples from everyday life that a tracking view will do very little to illuminate. So many or even most of the people who hold such a tracking view would claim that these instances are an exception to the rule. The, everybody will admit, yes, not all of our emotions are fitting, but most of them are, and we can explain those. And then I would ask them, but what about all of the very many people that seek psychotherapy to deal with emotions that don't track anything useful, right? Or... What about those that look like they need therapy and don't go to therapy? What about love? Does love track anything? I mean, it seems to me, from the people I know, from the books I've read, novels, uh, films I saw, that love is often not necessarily very good for us. And it's often a mystery how we fall in love, stay in love, fall out of love. So a philosopher that has this tracking view has various ways of filtering out these kind of experiences that I'm enumerating here. And this is why I'm calling it a dogma, because there is actually not that much evidence for these views, and more importantly, the experiences that don't cohere with those views don't seem to shake the belief in them. And that's exactly what dogmatism is, right? Beliefs that are insensitive to experience. So, so that's 
that to me is the is the tracking dogma you could say. Now you might have partly answered this, but could you explain exactly what dogma is? Uh, well, again, a dogma in general would be a belief that people hold that is not going to be responsive uh, responsive to experience or evidence against it. The the thing I'm calling the tracking dogma is a presupposition that is common to many views of emotions that hold that emotions, by and large, track dangers, wrongs, benefits, weaknesses, losses, again, correlational themes. There are many versions of this of, of these views, of these tracking views, but the very presupposition that this is what emotions are and are meant to do, that they aim to track things in the environment, people or animals, that bear on our well-being, that's never explained, and there seems to me to be quite a bit of experience, quite a bit of uh, evidence from everyday life that doesn't cohere with it. And that's why... I call it the tracking dogma. Could you explain about strong tracking dogma, the weak tracking dogma, and the normative tracking dogma? Yes. So, as I said, there are different versions of these tracking theories. And when you look at them closely from this point of view, where you see that they presuppose that emotions track dangers, wrongs, etc., there are differences in that presupposition. So what I call the strong tracking dogma would be theories that suppose that our emotional system, say our fear system, is going to track, whenever there's a danger in the environment, it's going to track it. It's going, the alarm bells are going to go off. So it's a, sensitive, it's a sensitive system. It's not going to miss out on the dangers in the environment. Not only it's sensitive, but it also, it's also accurate. So whenever you're afraid, you can be reasonably sure that there is indeed danger in front of you. Of course, everybody would admit that the system uh, is fallible. It can, it can make errors, but those errors, right, it can have false positives, as it were, right? It can alert you to danger when there isn't any, or it can miss some dangers that are there and not alert you to them. But those would be relatively rare errors. So the strong tracking dogma assumes more or less a reliable radar. The weak tracking dogma weakens the claim on sensitivity. So it can say, well... There could be dangers out there that your fear system is just not going to be sensitive to, or maybe some days it will be sensitive to them, maybe some days won't. it won't be. So already the system is not reliable. But whenever you're afraid, you can be reasonably sure that you got it right, so that there is some kind of danger there. So your system is accurate, but not sensitive. But I'm giving the fear example, but of course, it would be the same for anger and wrongs, joys and benefits, etc. Now, there's still a fallback position if one wants to, say, 
concede that there are many experiences where our emotions don't seem to track anything, such as the experiences that, that I enumerated before. And you can still say, well, our emotion system doesn't identify all the right occasions where we're supposed to emote. It does, our fear system doesn't identify all the dangers. It's not sensitive. Maybe even, maybe if it's not sensitive in most cases, who knows? And it could be also that we're often afraid when there is no danger at all. It could be that it's even not very accurate. Nonetheless, it aims to track core uh, relational themes. It aims to track dangers, wrongs, benefits, losses, etc. It may fail, but it still aims to do that. Now, once you have a, a, a system that aims to do something, you can judge whether it succeeded or not through all kinds of correctness conditions, and that's why I'm calling it the normative tracking view. I think in the end, probably many people, many philosophers, if confronted with these considerations would recede, <laughs> would take the normative tracking view rather than the weak and the strong. But at the moment, it looks like many of them are holding the weak and the strong tracking dogmas. So again, we have a system that tracks correlational themes, and the question is, how well does it do it? But that it tracks is common to everybody. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 8.55 on your AM dial, and I'm speaking with Dr Talia Morag about tracking dogma. So what kind of imperial knowledge about or extemic practice to our emotional experiences and practices can we avail ourselves to? Well, the question about empirical knowledge, I think, is a particularly interesting one. So one could, as many psychologists do, conduct experiments in the lab. But there is something inevitably insufficient about these experiments. They extract the person from their everyday circumstances, where they have most of their emotional reactions, and they test things like uh, reactions to cockroaches, uh, to rancid food, to loud noises, to gory films, to smiley faces. Right? These are interesting experiments. I'm not, you know, there's not, I have nothing against them. It's just that most of our emotional reactions are not like that. And they occur in circumstances that, at least on the face of it, it seems to me that they cannot be reproduced in a lab. They're mostly to do with our intimates, with our friends, our partners, our children, our parents, or with our colleagues at work. Now, some may also be with random people that we hardly know, like the mechanic, the accountant, the barista at the cafe. But they have to do with our everyday circumstances. They're in the, in the midst of our daily activities. They're not in this sterile environment of a lab in this very designed kind of situation. I mean, it's true that I, I saw a cockroach yesterday and maybe a week ago, but it's not, most of my emotional reactions are not to do with a cockroach, right? Most of my, or if I'm, uh, one of the main examples of tracking dogmatists is uh, fear of bears. I mean, the last time I saw a bear 
was two weeks ago at the zoo with my son, and uh, I wasn't afraid at all because uh, just of the zoo circumstances, but I'm not, I don't meet bears in the woods, on a, uh, I don't think, ever. So m- most of our experiments are not reproducible, reproducible in the lab, and that's part of the problem with that kind of method, I would say. But we can also appeal, what we can also appeal to here is our own everyday experience of ourselves and other people through our uh, relationships, especially those that are close to us and that we know very well. And this means that we can also appeal to everyday practices like criticizing emotions and controlling emotions and that we can appeal to our common knowledge that comes from the way we talk about emotions in ordinary language and from what we know about them from centuries of fiction, novels, poetry, plays, uh, and also recently movies and TV series. Like all of these also count as experiences, as empirical. It's just that it's not a scientific experience. Now, that might sound very strange because people tend to today equate the term empirical with the term scientific, but actually empirical just means experience, and many of our experiences are not necessarily studyable in a scientific sort of way, but that doesn't mean that we cannot turn to these kind of experiences when it comes to knowing ourselves and our emotional lives. And I think that when we consider that kind of non-scientific experience, we can see that actually the, the tracking dogma, at least in its strong and weak versions, right, those that say that basically most of our emotions do fit the situation in which they arise, right, that most of our fears do occur when there's danger, that we're mostly angry when we've been wronged, that we're mostly guilty when we wronged someone, I think when you examine these kind of ordinary experiences, you see that this view doesn't really suit it very well because we actually don't emote in fitting ways quite often, right? I mean, think about the very ordinary practice of being taught by our parents and then by our teachers and then criticized by our friends uh, that we should control our emotions. Think about all the anger management classes out there or... Um, Remember that our parents' advice to calm down when we're overreacting. They show these practices that many of our emotions actually don't fit very well uh, with the situation where, where they um, arise. Or there are all kinds of expressions in everyday language that indicate that we sort of know already that there's something not quite right about a tracking view. So expressions like, don't take it out on me. This expression tells you that whoever says it realizes, wait, you're angry with me, but that doesn't seem, I didn't, you didn't track anything here. I didn't do anything wrong. It looks to me like you're actually angry with somebody else. Don't take it out on me. Or don't take out your stress at work on me. So whatever's causing the reaction is not even here and now. Think about the expression emotional baggage, very well-known warning against certain potential romantic partners. You know, ah, there's too much emotional baggage there. What does that mean? It means that we assume that the cause 
for many of the, that person's emotional reactions is not here and now. They're not tracking anything right here and now. It's actually their entire life, their baggage, right? Their history of emotional experiences. Look at fiction, novels, movies, TV series. Fictional characters often emote in unfitting ways, or at least in unpredictable ways. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this drama that we have in fiction, and I would say also in our everyday lives. So I would say that it's very important not to exclude ordinary experience and common knowledge, given that it is an ordinary experience where most of our emotional life is uh, experienced and not in those relatively narrow and artificial lab experiments. And I guess it's, I guess it's, it's, not, it's, it's not like we cannot learn anything in the lab. I don't want to say that. And I think that we can learn, that we can learn a lot from it is evident in advertisement, in uh, political campaigns, in uh, thrillers, uh, soap operas, all kinds of formulaic forms of storytelling. But life is not exactly a soap opera, I guess. It's only a very small part of it. Could you tell us about the lack of scientific evidence for reliability of tracking sensitivity and accuracy? Yes. So, again, if you wanted to look for experiments that show um, reliability, that would be relatively hard. Usually what, what they would show, they would aim to show something else and they would assume reliability. And, and many experiments do show th- that our emotions are reliable, such as uh, fear of falling, disgust of cockroaches, disgust of gory films, Things like that. It's not like there are no, there's not empirical evidence for that. It's only that the range of circumstances that is being studied is very narrow in comparison to what comprises most of our emotional lives. That's the that's the point here. And if you wanted to conduct an experiment that would uh, follow us every step of the way in our everyday life, it seems like a very difficult experiment to conduct. If there is anything remotely like it, it would be the thought experiment, uh, you could say, of Truman's world. You remember this movie where a guy is put in an artificial world surrounded by actors, and he's basically, and he's being filmed the whole time. It's like this endless reality show, but it's not very real, right? There's something very weird about it, and there's something very weird about Truman, and it's also very uh, highly unethical. So, I mean, that would be the only kind of thought experiment that I could imagine at the moment, at least, that could replicate something like an ordinary life. And in the movie, it doesn't really feel very ordinary. But that's the main point here. It's not that there is no evidence for tracking views, it's that there is very, the evidence applies only to a very small subset of our emotional reactions. 
Right, so how did the experiments go with human adults? Well, again, I feel like, again, the, the, there were some experiments on babies that were very questionable to do with fear of falling. And there are some experiments with adults about their reactions to gory films, to films of genital surgery, to earthworms, uh, flowers, smiley faces, and so forth. The experiments would support a tracking view. That's not the problem with them. The problem with them is that the range of circumstances that they are actually able to test is very narrow in comparison to what we usually call our emotional life, right? So if, if you think about what represents uh, our emotional experience, I think you would, much, would be much more likely to think about Shakespeare or uh, a movie that you saw recently that you thought was moving than on a lab experiment with cockroaches. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, actually, that brings to mind, you know, you were saying about the experiments being unethical, about baby Albert and trying to make him fearful of rabbits. Do you remember that one? Uh, no, I don't actually. <laughs> no, but I'm not surprised. Again, I, the, whether these let's put the ethics question aside. I guess for me, the the ethical limitations are part of the feasibility of the experiment. I mean, what are you prepared to do to experiment on these things? That's a separate question. The problem is that our knowledge of emotional of our of our emotional reactions and the emotional reactions of others of what it means to emote comes from relationships that are ongoing that take a long time that require great familiarity with sometimes very idiosyncratic forms of expression right so when you're an experimenter that knows nothing about your subject in order to know if they're afraid or angry or whatever, you're looking at their facial expressions, at their behaviors, and you have an interpretive scheme to see how, uh, how, what's the best way to describe their emotion that's very rough, almost like a caricature. But in our everyday life, when we want to know how somebody else feels, it's a much more complicated matter. It can be the way they put a glass on the table, the way they close the door, the way they sigh, uh, they can have all kinds of tells, as we say, when it comes to poker games that they may not even notice, and we notice. Forms of expression can be very idiosyncratic, and in order to learn them, you need to be in a relationship with that person over a long period of time. Perhaps the only experiment I would say that could do justice to this kind of particularity of people's emotional lives is a long-term psychotherapeutic experience Just talking to someone for a long time and they get to know you over right. a long time right, well thanks very much for coming onto the program today thank you thank you for having me and I've been speaking with Dr Talia Morag about tracking dogma well that's all we have time for today hope you've enjoyed the program and stay tuned for Swing and Sway <laughs> <laughs> 